White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 777. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. Live from Londo's Dream World... It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Andy Fix. How are you tonight, and Andy, and welcome to 2024. I am doing fantastic, Van, and happy new year to you as well. You know, I, Londo's dream world is not someplace I would ever want to spend any time. New, no, new. No, it's yeah. more of a nightmare world, usually. Yeah. Yeah. Even the good stuff is tinged with tragedy, as we're going to see tonight, as we're going to talk about. Absolutely. So we are recording this, in fact, on January 4th of 2024 on a um, random, I guess, Thursday night, I believe it is. I've lost all track during the during the holidays. The day <laughs> of the week Thursday. doesn't matter during the holidays. It's just not, not at work day, although I did have to go into work partly today. So we're here tonight to talk about, we're here tonight, for a very short night, probably talk about the very long night of Londo Malari. And it is interesting that they go ahead in the very second episode of this season and give us a Londo and Jakar episode. So that's good because that's, I mean, that's like the dependable thing. When, when nothing, if, if nothing else is working on Babylon 5, you can always pull out Londo and Jakar and have them interact a little bit and, and save the day. And so I think that's right. the main thing about this one. So let's see. Um, I do want to point out, as always, to begin the show, that if you'd like to support the show, we would certainly appreciate helping to keep the lights on in our uh, uh, palatial White Rocket studios. Just go to www.b5review.com, b5review.com. Click on the button to become a patron. Um, Let's see. The first thing we always do, Andy, is check in and see if there's any news going on. And I don't think there's any been any JMS-style revelations or signs and portents this week, have there? Not that I noticed. I did run across a, a bit of news that might affect the Babylon 5 reboot. Hmm. Um, Warner Brothers, or, yeah, the, the Warner Brothers HBO Max service. They're, Warner Brothers is thinking of buying Paramount. Ah. Um, so that they're, they're trying to merge the two services into one, which would mean over the next three to five years that uh, Warner's is going to be very, very money conscious hmm. and not be looking to spend a whole lot of money on their streaming service until they get all the, the, the money situation sorted out and the stock sorted out and all that stuff. So it looks pretty grim for the, a Babylon 5 reboot anytime soon, if at all. That's sad. That's disappointing. Um, yeah. yeah, and it would be weird if Paramount and Warner's ended up together because then you'd have Babylon 5 and Star Trek in the same company. 
Right, exactly. I, I feel like at that point, Babylon 5, instead of becoming the, the, the spunky challenger, it becomes the redundant red-headed stepchild. Yep. Exactly. And the start the, the 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 only thing that's really going well for the Paramount Plus network is its Star Trek shows. I mean that's that's what's ga- gathering yeah. all the attention. So that I think is why Babylon or why Warner Brothers is looking at Paramount right now. So but who knows? I mean it it would have to go through, you know, um, approvals with the FCC and then with both, you know, uh, shareholders and all that stuff. So Yeah. Who knows? But the, the the bad part is it will take at least three years to get everything even figured out if they can do this or not, they said. Oh, brother. Well, that yeah. would kind of explain why. didn't Wasn't it all the um, the Star Trek movies just moved over from Paramount Plus to Max, was it? Oh, really? Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't aware of that. That, that would certainly make sense. Well, I know I they know all they, just left Paramount. I didn't know where they... I think they went to Max. That's crazy. Uh, uh, and Paramount Plus is supposed to be the home for all things Star Trek, they said. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. <laughs> that's that's wild. Yeah, that launched a whole lot of online people talking about buying physical media and streaming and this, that, and the other nonsense. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Which is an argument I get so, I just find so tedious because, you know, I mean, it's out there. Buy it or don't buy it. I just, these, these I, here, I'll sum it up for you real quickly. When people get so obsessed with having physical media so nobody can take it away from you, I'm like, yeah, that's why I have Lord of the Rings DVD box set that I haven't opened in 10 years and will never open again because I've got it on 4K, i got it on Blu-ray, I've got it on iTunes. What do I need that for? It's like having the Babylon 5 VHS tapes. Oh, I got the physical media, Andy. Well, yeah, you paid $45 for two episodes of a show that's now available on iTunes or whatever, right? Yeah. DVDs. I don't even have a DVD player anymore, <sighs> except for good, my computer. Yeah, I I guess if my if my Blu-ray player upstairs will back compatible to it, I guess I could play DVDs. I mm-hmm. most yeah most of the stuff on DVD I've run through the uh, through the computer and put onto my Plex server, so I don't so I have it all on my iPad and my computer and everything and my television. I don't yeah. But anyway, speaking of anyway. Lord of the Rings though, that was my little tidbit is just to let people know. A lot of people often have compared Babylon Five to Lord of the Rings. Well, just a couple of days ago, my other longtime show co-host, John Ringer, and I, for the last eight years, we've done an annual Lord of the Rings movie trivia battle every holiday season, either December or January, and we just posted our new one. What we do is that um, eight years ago, I mailed John a giant stack of Lord of the Rings movie trivial pursuit cards. And so every year, we each take out five of them and do a, we ask each other, 30 questions each so a total of 60 trivia questions and see who wins and it's it's really fun most years it's a tie we know about the same amount you know out of 30 we it's usually like a 21 21 tie or a 22 22 tie so anyway if you folks want to hear that and play along and what we do is we ask all six questions on the card and let it sit for a minute and then we go back through them again and try to answer them so you have plenty of time to try to figure out the questions yourself so you can play along see if you can do better than john and i do that's on the white rocket entertainment podcast the sister show it's kind of the potpourri podcast to this show's very specific babylon 5 show right if it's babylon 5 it goes on here sometimes we put foundation or stargate on here everything else pretty much goes on the white rocket entertainment uh, podcast feed. It's got about 204 episodes now of all kinds of interviews and stuff. So White Rocket Entertainment. 
If you go to whiterocket.podbean.com, you can see it uh, there, too, and see all the episodes. So I just want to let people know if they want to play along with the with the Lord of the Rings trivia, they can go check that out. And that's uh, very timely since uh, yesterday was the good professor's birthday. It was. That's right, yeah. And this was the... Um, this this December past was the 30th anniversary of Return of the King. Or tw- 20th. Yeah. Yeah, 20th. I hope it's the 20th. <laughs> 20th <laughs> I'm not yeah. that old yet. <laughs> Babylon 5 is 30. This is 20, right? right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, in fact, this year was the 30th anniversary of The Gathering, right? And, and I mean, this past year. And this, this year is the 30th anniversary of the first season. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And also the 30th anniversary of my 23rd birthday. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've got a birthday coming up in uh, just over a week, so that's fun. Yay, another birthday. Nice. <laughs> I always you know, say, year, I, I always say it beats the alternative, you know? This this is true. Every year yeah. my wife wants to play me this big, huge birthday party, and every year I put the, the kibosh on it because I just, birthday, I, I don't I don't want to celebrate my birthday with a million people. It's, no. It's a sad, a sad event as it is. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's better than the alternative. And yes. 20, 2019 made me really appreciate it. I, at that point, I said, I'm living on, it's all gravy from here on. Right. And so, yeah. And so I'm, after what happened that year and me surviving, being a survivor, um, uh, I'm just, it's all gravy now. So I've been a little more celebratory than I used to be. I don't take it as much for granted anymore. But what I'll do, what I like to do is we go to the, the Japanese steakhouse because it's nice. expensive, but that's the one time of the year that I don't mind us spending the money since it's a birthday thing. So we'll go right. have some chicken and steak and fried rice and all that'll be great. Very cool. All right, so let's get on into the very long night of Londo Malari. And I'm trying to find the uh, oh, here it is. Okay, I changed it up a little bit on my notes. All right, so the very long this is uh, episode 503 from January 28th, 1998. Remember, all of season five aired within calendar year 1998. Um, do you want to do the summary this time? You want me to do it? I don't think I've done one in a while. Uh, you can go ahead and do the summary. Okay. Londo, well, this is kind of a spoiler for the for the happens out because you think he's poisoned. Londo right. suffers a serious heart attack and must face his greatest fear to survive. Lanier decides to start training as a ranger. So this is again episode five hundred three. So it's the second episode of season five. I'm not going to go into that again. Written by JMS, directed by David Eagle. So we are now we've had Janet Greek. And David Eagle directing season five episodes. It's really kind of the greatest hits of um, the most heavy right. hitters of our Mount Rushmore of B5 directors so far. Right. They're pulling out the, the big guns for to get season five rocking off the right off the bat. Yeah, I'm looking for Adam Nimoy. I'm looking for um, the Hispanic name, the guy. Uh, there's the one guy. Oh, well. Those are kind of the four or five main ones I always think of. Right. I can't right. think of his name, but I will. Um, all right, here goes everybody's favorite. Um, uh, well, actually, I mean, before I say that, I missed notable guest stars. There were no notable guest stars. No, that's a very rare thing. Right. I can't, I, mean, I, I can't remember an episode where I didn't have to go look somebody up. Right. We had. Well, I mean, we had Lord Rifa and and the uh, Emperor, but that yeah, that were flashbacks. So, very no, brief were, flashbacks. This was very much a a. Uh, um, just a, a very conc- like you said it's a very concise show it's very it's like a, a, a closet you know yeah it's, there's not a whole lot outside it's a, definitely a money saving episode 
Well, I was going to say, there were very little special effects, too. Right. You would be forgiven back then for thinking, man, there must be an end of the fire coming up because <laughs> there was not much going on in the last two so far. Right. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, there were a lot of effects in third space and in the beginning. Yeah. So they had just done that. But then you get two episodes where the only effects are like the, the Star Fury in last episode in, in, in right. No Compromises. Right. So I don't know what's going on, but I, I feel like you just don't get as much in the way of exterior space battle type shots this season. No, because the budget was slashed. TNT did not have the budget that, that they were getting from the primetime entertainment network. That's Which is crazy to think because it should be the other way yeah. around, but yeah. Right. That's so weird. All right, now everybody's favorite moment in our show where Andy tries to guess the P5 rating of the episode. I love this part. This is absolutely my favorite part of the whole show every week. So <laughs> You're easily entertained, man. <laughs> I am not. This is great because you're always like within like .01 of it every time. It's insane, except maybe one time you were off. But for those, again, that are new, uh, back when the show first aired – the Lurker's Guide fan website polled like hundreds of fans and asked them to rate this episode, each episode, on a scale of 0 to 10. And it, re it re resulted in a, to the second decimal place number, like 6.75 or something, you know. And, and so Andy has to guess what the P5 rating back in 1998 was. So... What would you say the P5 rating among the, the, the hardcore B5 fans was for this episode, immediately after it aired for the first time? Right. So I'm taking what I think our, our average would be, and I double that, and then I add, give it a little bump because we're jaded, and we've yes. seen all this before. Yes. Um, I'm going to say... You're going to be wrong. I, You're going to be so I wrong this time. I don't think it's as high as a 9. Even though this, I, I thought this was a pretty good episode, I, but it was. I, I think it's going to get some some eight point two five. I'm going to say. I gotta say, you came closer than I thought you were going to come. I thought you were <laughs> really? going to. I thought you were going to miss this one by at least a whole digit. Really? Yes. How much did I miss it by? You said like eight point two five. Eight point two five. I don't think it's any higher than an eight point five. So I'm going to go eight point two five. Bearing in mind, last episode was like a 7.5 or something. Yeah, right. So this one gets like a whole point higher, almost. Okay. What did it get? This episode's P5 rating was 8.52. Oh, I had the 5 and the 2 reversed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in your psychic vision, you had them backwards. That was it. But no, I, I you said it didn't get over 8.5. It did. Just barely squeaked past 8.5. I think this one hit harder than last episode because it was yeah. such a big Jakar and Londo episode. Yes. And they both did fantastic. And, yes. and I thought it was a well-put-together episode. I mean, I, I, I won't get into you know exactly how I felt about it, but yeah, the, I, I thought this one was definitely worthy of, of a higher rating than last episode. This is an interesting episode. This is one that when I, I remember, because I've only seen it, this is probably only the third time I've really watched it. I don't, it's, it's one of those that if I watched the series all the way through, I probably wasn't paying full attention for this one. I was kind of losing focus a little bit previously. Of course, now I'm watching right. these things like, you know, like right. the Zapruder film, but back then, you know. And so I remember very much that when this one first aired in January of 98, I remember thinking, eh, 
Another Londo, you know, dealing with issues episode. La 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 la. You know, it because at the time I didn't appreciate Londo and Jakar being as special as they were. To me, that was just okay. It's Londo and Jakar. That's what they do, okay. right? This is their show to a certain degree. It's what they do. Fine, fine. You know, looking back now, you realize, oh, look what we had, right? You know, and I, I appreciated it back then, but not the way I do now. You know what I right. mean? Right. This is one of those episodes you and I talked about that we're going to run into some episodes that surprised us. Yes. And for me, this this one surprised me. Yes. I I, I like this one better than, uh, to be perfectly honest, like I said I before, I haven't watched these season five episodes since season mm. five first aired. Yeah. So I, I didn't even remember. So you know, I remember bits and pieces of this one, but I didn't remember the whole thing. And I didn't no. remember how, how, how it hit me back then. So, But now, after watching it, I'm like, yeah. I, I, I really, uh, this one surprised me. That's exactly it. That's what I was getting at and not, and, and kind of failing to say <laughs> is what you, exactly what you said. Right. It's one that at the time I just kind of went, ah, okay. Another, you know, character episode, no big cosmic battles or anything. Fine. Whatever. Right. And I look at it now and go, oh, we got at least one more really emotional Londo Jakar episode. I just, yep. I appreciated it more this time. Right. I same. Same. I would have probably given it a six out of ten the first time I saw it. This time, you know, obviously not. So okay. Right. Uh, all right. Let's see what we haven't talked about. So okay, random factoids and notes. What did you come up with just in general about this one? I have a couple really minor ones. First of all, um, when Lanier first walked out in his uh, uh, Ranger gear at the end when they were filming that scene. Somebody called him the Bone Ranger. <laughs> that was kind of, that was kind of a, a nickname he picked up for the rest of the season. Um, wow. I thought that was kind of funny. Wow, the Bone Ranger. Um, and then when uh, um, the scene when Londo was uh, when uh, Veer was leaving the Zocalo, and then Londo walked into the scene, and when Veer left the scene, it was a full you know the Zocalo was full of people and mm-hmm. chit chatting and drinks on the tables and everything like that. That was a single shot. That was one running shot from when Veer walked out yeah. to when Londo entered the scene and then walked into the Zocalo. By the time he got there, it was completely empty. Mm-hmm. There was no cuts or anything. That was as soon as Veer walked out and the Zocalo itself was off camera, everybody grabbed their stuff and right. ran off the set very quietly and very I quickly. was wondering if they did it that way. Yep, that's exactly what they did. JMS said everybody had to be really quiet and really quick, but it was it, it, they did it because there was it was only like maybe 10, 12 seconds between when mm-hmm. Beer left the Zocalo to when Londo walked in, and the lighting changed and everything it was really yes. impressive. Well, I wonder was that in the script? Was that a JMS thing? Was that a David Eagle thing? What was that? It Johnny was it Cavelli? was a, it was in the script for it to be complete. I don't know if if JMS specified that it was going to be one shot. Right, transition. That was yeah. A, yeah, I don't know if that was a JMS thing or if that was a, a David Eagle innovation. Right. Um, but I thought the see the part with the the Steadicam when it was showing Lando's face as he was walking into the oh door, yeah yeah that was that was a a David Eagle and a um, Peter Jurassic innovation. They came up with that on their own. In fact, when they were filming that part of that scene, you know when you, you have the little the little uh, clapper board, mm-hmm. it's got the director, the scene name, and then the cameraman on it. 
Well, when they did this one, when they brought out, you know, Peter Jurassic and the Steadicam get up and they did the clapper, it said cameraman Peter Jurassic. And oh, Jurassic nice. Got a, Jurassic got a good chuckle out of that one. Nice. That's good. Well, he deserved it. That's really cool. Yeah. I've done that, that with my iPad. When I first got an iPad, I kind of ran around the house holding the iPad <laughs> camera at me. So it's just me yeah. going. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty fun. Yeah, that's people, that's good stuff. People listening have no um, idea what I was doing just now, but. Try it. That's hold the, your hold your camera in front of you and don't move right. it, and then run around, and it makes a really fun effect. Yeah, that's all that I was able to dig up on this one. Um, I have a few things. I said there's no Byron and no Lockley this episode. They both got introduced right. last episode, right. and then they kind of disappeared for a while. This was very much a yep. Sheridan and Delin and Londo and Jakar and Lanier right. and Veer, pretty much. Um, we mentioned there were very little special effects. You think something big is coming? I don't know. Um, I liked, this is something I had not thought about because of what we did with Sleeping in Light. They showed us what becomes of Sheridan by way of wardrobe. Yes. They went from the Earth Force uniform to having the white shirt on during uh, Severed Dreams to having the Army of Light uniform. Yep. And I thought the next thing would be his suit as president that he wears all the time. Right, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was a ranger. Yeah, which and I thought was cool. Which we saw in Sleeping in Light, right? Yep. I think he had that on in Sleeping in Light. I believe he did. Before he changed to the Army of Light uniform at the very end. And right. He was to talking about how it's the, uh, yeah, shrunk a little bit or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is right. so cool. Right. We've all experienced that. And then that. he had the very last one was just the, the white robe altogether. Now, I oh. don't know if that was his, his death shroud or. I, I got questions about that. That was not the last one, though. Wasn't it? No. No. All right. Okay. Bear with me here. Let's talk about it. Okay. Let's talk so about it. He's got the white thing on, which was one of those Minbari acolyte robes. Okay, okay. But to me, I agree with you. To me, it seemed more like a shroud, like he was dead. I don't know why he would be wearing a Minbari acolyte robe right? after yeah, Ranger covering, 1. Right, it was covering from his nose up. You couldn't see the whole top half of his face. No. And then after that, he's a ball of light. Right, 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 right. Okay. And see, when this first aired, we had not seen Sleeping in Light yet. Yes. See, this is what's so cool about doing Sleeping in Light and then putting it on the shelf for a year. JMS knew everything that happened and was mentioned and was shown in Sleeping in Light, and he could reverse engineer and drop little things in this season. This is a big one. He put some stuff from Sleeping in Light in this one, the ranger thing and the ball of light, whatever. And then there's another couple of episodes coming up where things from Sleeping in Light get mentioned. Okay. And, cool. and and I remember at the time, we'll talk about this when the time comes, but I remember at the time thinking, oh, I bet I know what that's going to be. And then when Sleeping in Light aired, I was like, yes, 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 I called it. <laughs> Not right about everything, but I remember getting a couple of things right and being very excited. So, But, yeah, I, I thought it was just really cool that because he had seen Sleeping in Light because he filmed it, but we right. hadn't, he could do that. Yeah, that was neat. Because he knew exactly how the show was going to end. It was already on the shelf. All right. um, The Lurker's Guide at the time speculated, quote, perhaps Lorian, a ball of light in his own right, will return and take Sheridan, unquote. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Yes. How about that? Um, Stephen 
Franklin is staying up to keep an eye on Londo. Did you yep, have the same idea I did? Yep. I'm like, yep. I wonder if he's got his stems with him. I'm like, Stephen, would you like some stems? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that reminds me of something else. I'm, I don't mean to interrupt, but hmm. the scene when they were getting ready to do the defib- defibrillator, that's hard mm-hmm. to say. Mm-hmm. They uh, uh, Stephen rips open a shirt, and you see Lando's genitalia. Exposed. Oh, you do! That was an R-rated episode, Andy. Right, full and, frontal. And they, were, they were legit worried that they might not be able to get that past the sensors because they had already been established as his genitalia. The sensors didn't know. They didn't right. care. They, 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 they didn't. They didn't watch the series, so they didn't pay any attention. But the first time Stephen or Richard Biggs ripped open the shirt, he ripped off one of the tentacles. Ooh. And Peter Jurassic squealed as if he had been, you know, kicked in the nuts. As, as oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, he does that. And all you hear is, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Or maybe you hear, <laughs> that's what probably, the, probably the latter. Yeah, probably the latter. Yes, that's right. Um, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm glad we both had the same thought there. Um, it was interesting that we had another assistant summit at the bar. Two people that yes. don't drink meet up yes. at the bar. I, that, made, that made one of my categories. I loved that they worked that into it. We uh, veer like it's Shirley probably, Temple, t- Simples, and Lanier right. promises to visit the Shirley Temple next time he's on yep. Earth. I think that's the last time that they that they have such a, a summit yeah. in the Zocalo. I think probably. Which is sad. Did Lanier because just? It, oh, go ahead. They. I liked how they made it feel like that this was even though we've only seen it you know two or three times in the in the show that made it feel like it was a regular thing that those two did together yes yes i agree um i was just wondering did it did lanier just admit he's been to earth before it, yeah it sure sounded like that because he sounded said, like i didn't it. see that when i was there yeah yeah i'll go I, next I time i'm there that too yeah interesting i wonder how that goes I, if i were a minbari i don't know i'd be visiting earth i would like a lot right. like a hundred years to go by at yeah. least. Well, At they least. did surrender, you know. Oh, yeah, but they also killed, like, how many billion people, probably? Or at least yeah. millions or thousands or something, or I don't know. Yeah. A lot. But I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. you had uh, Fritz von something or other in the uh, in the, the, the wrestling world, you know, just a couple of years after World War II ended, the, the evil Nazi wrestling. Yeah, but he was a villain. He was playing. That's as true, well. yeah. Right. It just seems like there might be some bad blood. Is all I'm saying. Right, right. Oh, I'm sure there. I'm sure there would be. Yeah. And we've seen the terrorists on this show. Right. There yep. are quite a few. The first season was full of anti-alien terrorists. Yep. So, Agreed. All right. Um, they first got together at the, in the fall of night, which was the last episode of uh, season two. So it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, let's see. An old Centauri story says that sometimes an angelic soul can be trapped inside a body that's done great evil and can kill its host in an effort to break free and inhabit another body. That, to me, touches on both the soul hunter stuff and it reminded me of the the brother, the monk, in passing through Gethsemane, mm-hmm. where he basically had become an innocent soul trapped in the soul of a serial killer. Trapped in the body of a serial killer, right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. The whole the whole thing about souls and the metaphysics behind that in, in this series, I think it's fascinating that they take a spiritual topic like that and a spiritual concept and they they treat it as if it were a an actual scientific thing. 
yes. you know, with the Soul Hunters. I mean, they are basically establishing in canon that souls exist. That not necessarily in a religious standpoint, but it, a, as a thing, they exist within. And it's interesting to see how the different cultures work that concept and, and view that concept and, and work it into their culture. I think that's fascinating. Yeah. It, it, it is. And well, that's one thing that this show and that JMS has always done. He incorporates religion and spiritual stuff in way more than Star Trek ever tried to do. Absolutely. Because Roddenberry from day one is like, no religion, no religion, no religion. He just didn't like it, right. didn't want it in his show. And, I, and that's his prerogative. It's his show, and people love it. Right. But JMS has always been more about... To me, JMS has always reflected more Carl Sagan in the kind of, I'm an atheist, but I respect what you're doing and see the value in it, right? Whereas others are kind of like, no, 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 get that foolish superstition away from me. And I don't think JMS has ever been like that. Right. Well, and JMS realizes that, and and he may be like this as well, but human beings, and to extrapolate that, sentient beings... Mm-hmm are inherently curious and fascinated about what we don't know about. Mm-hmm. That That's why we invent the, the, the whole afterlife and the whole spiritual concepts, because we are, are curious about it, and we'd, a lot of people you know need that sort of thing to look forward to. So yeah. he doesn't Absolutely. ignore that or try to, to brush it under the rug. He, he embraces that, because that's a, 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 a just a core part of human nature. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and... and yeah. I just thought of something, Van. Sure. And you're gonna hate you're gonna hate me for this. <laughs> but in believers oh God. having having established that souls are real and having established that souls can be a physical thing that can be transitioned, in believers, what if the parents were right? What if that was an actual thing that if they oh, they certain they did the medical treatment to their son that his soul, you know, would go away. So Stephen had no right to do what he did. Okay, we're not going to go back and relitigate <laughs> believers at this late date. <laughs> but How's that, that for a hot take, Mr. Plexico? <laughs> at that point, we need to bring the soul hunters in to adjudicate, right? <laughs> that would have been an interesting way that episode ended if a soul hunter had showed up. Yeah. Thank you for the soul. <laughs> and it comes, uh, you know, and take the little boy's soul away in a glass bottle or something. That would yeah. be... I don't know if that might be better than what they did, and then put it in another body or something, give him another shot. I don't know. Yeah. Lord knows I don't want to go back down that path. All right. <laughs> Doctor, Sorry I brought it up. No, no, no. It's an interesting thought. I just, oh, gosh, that episode. Yeah. Dr. Franklin orders a toxology report, which means he wants to study bow and arrow. To- <laughs> toxology is the study of bow and arrow. Right. Toxicology would be. There it is. Um, now, there's, he made another mistake. Uh-oh. When he was discussing the two hearts, he said oh, that they're uh, that pulmonary, they a, a bipulmonary system. It's like, well, yeah, we are too. We also have two lungs. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> bicardial. Right. Having had a heart attack myself, I know that it, it mm. is bicardiac. It would be. Yes. Very good point. Because I had to see a cardiologist, not a pulmonologist Pulmon- or whatever. Pulmonarian. Pulmonarian. Pul- I think I had a dog. I think I had a dog that was a pulmonarian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this show's gone off the rails tonight. Oh my god, we're gone off. We, are tu- they're tuning out left and right right now. Oh man, um, not a whole lot of this episode left, honestly, to talk about. Let's see. <laughs> um, 
I do want to mention that Dr. Franklin did get to do some stuff again. We were just saying, how long has it been since Stephen yes, got to do anything? He did some real medical stuff. I mean, it was cool. And yeah. he, he was he was he didn't have his terminology down right, but he was competent yeah. and you know otherwise he, 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 he was otherwise competent. Right, right. So I mean, <laughs> I, I I enjoyed it what what he got to do in this one. It, it was cool uh, to see him doing doctor stuff. Oh, we enjoy Stephen getting to do stuff, and it's always disappointing right. when he gets shuffled off the stage. Yeah, right. They they have him hitting on girls or yeah. Know, running rescues on Mars and stuff like that. Now he's doing actual doctor stuff. It's cool. First time in a long time. Yeah. That's right. There was some comes the Inquisitor to this episode, and there was some La- uh, some Lorian, I thought. Yes. Yeah, when yeah, especially when Delenn was asking the, the same question over and over again, trying to get Londo mm-hmm. to, to think. Mm-hmm. Yes, was she cool. was on the other Minbari. Yes. Um, that that was interesting, yeah, because we liked those episodes, and it was kind of neat to see echoes of that. The the you you can be charitable and put it that way, or you can say <laughs> JMS went back to the well again. But you know he's good at those kind of things, so that's fine. But you know, and this was another dream sequence episode, and we've we've had our our discussions about his dream sequence episodes before, yeah. where we haven't really liked them very much. Yeah. But I thought this one was very well written. And uh, Peter Peter Jurassic, I mean, I don't know if a lesser actor could have made it as as, as good as it did, as, as good as he did, but Peter Jurassic knocked this one out of the park. And I, I thought that this was actually a very effective and 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 poignant mm-hmm. dream episode. I thought it was really well done. Let me tell you why I think that was. And it wasn't it you're right that it was partly Peter Jurassic, partly JMS's writing, for sure. But here I think is the other reason. Unlike most of the dream episodes where you're like, what the hell is going on here, right? Yep. In, in this one, they let us know what was going on relatively early, right? Yep. As soon as they showed Jakar and Londo wouldn't look at him, you're, you're probably, you know, 80% of the audience is like, oh, I get it, right? They, right. He, he, he didn't play coy with it. It was, it was pretty clear pretty soon what was required to happen. And then it wasn't right. about figuring it out. It was about what has to happen for that to happen, right? right. So so it was a different sequence of events than we usually get in his dream. To, to reiterate, usually in JMS's dream episodes or sequences, the audience is trying to figure out what's going on. Here, that was true briefly, and then the audience was left going, how will it happen, or will it? Which right. is different. Right. So there wasn't as much confusion. There was a little bit at the beginning, and then it's kind of straightforward. I think that worked. Right. It was a nice change. Yeah, I, did, I did, too. Yeah, it, it was. It, it wasn't tra- us, JMS dropping hints of the future with these cryptic images. It was Londo processing his guilt. Mm-hmm. So it was an actual yes. story arc versus the, like you said, what the hell is going on here? Yes, that's. I think that's it. I think that's a big part of it for sure. Yep. Um, I I'm probably going to mention this again in one of the categories, but I just want to mention it just in case I don't. The ending with Lanier and Delenn, and then Sheridan coming up after Lanier is gone, leading her away. She keeps nervously looking back over her shoulder. He's kind of smiling and leading her away. That was that just was it me or was that just creepy? I don't think it was creepy. I think, uh, and this was one of my unanswered questions. Okay. I think the the Lynn harbors some feelings for Lanier, deep down inside. 
and some guilt that it played out this way. Yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I, I didn't, I didn't find that creepy at all. I thought it, okay. in her culture, and she even mentioned this at one point. In her culture, um, threes are, you know, oh yeah, are, sacred. Are, the number three is is huge. So yeah, in uh, we we really don't know a whole lot about Mimbari relationships. Maybe in a Mimbari relationship. Three is not an unusual. I'm not saying in, in a kinky way. I'm hey, saying, Sheridan took it that way. Did you catch that? I, Sheridan's he like, did. hey, yeah, hey, he I don't did. know if I'm ready for that now. Hey, oh, hey. Right, and right. I'm like, come and, on, and, John. Come on, think, John. Yeah, in in such a culture as as they are with the threes and all that stuff, there may be a, a role for three people in a relationship versus you know what we humans are used to. And I'm not saying in a sexual way or anything right. like that. I'm just saying in, no, a, in, a, in a loving relationship sort of way. So but I, I don't, I don't know if she harbors some feelings deep. I mean, she's obviously in love with John, and I'm not questioning her loyalty to John or anything like that. But I'm saying that she, you could see it in her eyes. At least the way that that um, Mira Furlan played it, mm-hmm. um, you could see that that she has regret, like you said, regrets for how everything turned out and. Maybe she felt for Lanier a little bit what Lanier felt for her. A little bit. A little bit. And I think that when Lin, when Delenn looks in the mirror, there's a little bit of... Blame yourself. A little bit. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It remi- I had a note here. It reminds me of the Leslie Sloat character. If you've seen The Winds of War and War in Remembrance, Sloat was the guy that was in love with Natalie... And oh, ev- yeah. eventually, and he's a foreign service guy, so he's very bookish, yep. you know. But he ends up looking kind of like a coward compared to the guy that Natalie marries. And so right. ultimately, he runs off and joins like the French resistance or something to machine gun Nazis because he's been embarrassed into thinking he's not manly enough. And that's kind right. of what I was getting off of off of Lanier, right? I need to be manly so I can right. Can I can John, you know John's a superhero. I need to be something like that, which which is not at all what what he needed to do or what no. Dylan was expecting from him. He no, yeah, he yeah. That's not whole. what that's not what makes Dylan not attracted to Lanier. It's just he's not in a competition with Sheridan, but he thinks he is, and that's right, the exactly. tragedy of it all. He thinks right. he is. Yeah. I don't think it that there's. Yeah. I don't think there's anything Lanier could do that would make Delenn dump Sheridan and run off with him. I don't think there's anything he could do. Not not a single thing other than kill Sheridan. But yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> all right. Um, oh, and then uh, Londo had divorced his first wife, who was a dancer. That's been mentioned before a couple of times, but we might have said, "Does that why he was attracted to Adira?" Oh, hey, yeah. Because she reminds him of his first wife that he loved and he had the divorce. Right. And did you catch that he loved her, he married her, and the family said, we'll cut you off. And so he's like, yeah, she was very sad and disappointed. when." Right. (laughs) It just struck me as funny that he didn't, like, say, oh, I'll give everything up for you. He's like, well, it's been nice, young lady, but I can't lose all my stuff. Lando's always been a very political creature. And and even at the the, the one point where he says, I have never apologized for anything I've done in my life. I mean, that's just that's that's his character. He's yeah. he's always looking to to what what what's in it for Lando. Well, speaking of that, Lando has apologized twice before. He apologized to Garibaldi for casting his vote against Sinclair in the Gathering, yeah. and he reluctantly apologized to Elric for recording their conversation in the Geometry of Shadows. Uh, but yeah. but you could probably argue. 
And here's what JMS said about that. Somebody asked JMS about that. JMS says, remember Jakar's comment that in other circumstances, Londo wasn't sorry he did it. He was sorry he got caught. And those, yeah. you could say those were more of the getting caught kind than the, Absolutely, yeah. than the feeling bad about it kind. Right. I think that we knew Londo was sorry about his role in the destruction of Narn, but he never really said it. Oh, absolutely. Right. He he never admitted it to himself or, more importantly, to Jakar. Just his look on his face when it was happening, which we saw the flashbacks of again. Yep. The sheer horror. Yeah. Yeah. All right, couple of JMS quotes. Uh, Is this the same story as the very long night of Susan Ivanova? And JMS says, no. But we're not doing that story, so the title became available, and it was most apt for this episode. Nothing like this was planned for Susan. I just liked the title and adjusted it. So I still want to know what happened during the very long night of Susan Ivanova. Right. She's had some long nights, right? (laughs) Half the time we see Ivanova on this show, she's waking up in the middle of the night in her little bed there, and the alarm's going off, or somebody's calling her, and she's like, "Ah." You You know what it was? She was playing poker with a tumbe. Oh, there it is. <laughs> now we know. Uh, somebody asked JMS, is Bill Mummy off the show now? He says, Bill is still on the show. There's a bit of a break as his character is off on on the shock training, but he does come back and, in fact, has a rather substantial arc of his own at a certain point later in the season. Yes, he does. Jakar's artificial eye isn't red yet. Did the actor not want to wear the the contact? No, says JMS. The contact emission was kept because of the story and the character. It'll be dealt with down the line in more detail. But for now, that's why it's there. My understanding was that they were both contacts, just different colors. I'm not not sure. I want to say that because I I feel like in an earlier episode, somebody said, did you do this so he didn't have to wear one of the contacts? And JMS is like, no, he's still wearing two contacts. It's just two different colors. Yeah, because because Andreas is is a Mediterranean, you know, of Mediterranean descent. He's very, you know, dark hair and, mm-hmm. and you know, swarthy skin and all that stuff. He, I seriously doubt he has blue eyes naturally. Yeah. And that was that was a very blue eye. Yes. Uh, how did Londo know about Sheridan's shortened lifespan? JMS says it's common knowledge within the inner circle of the Alliance Advisory Board. And then lastly, could Delenn have stopped the Rangers from accepting Lanier? And JMS says, yes, she could have, but it would have devastated him and undermined the Rangers' structure. Yes. So she had to let it happen. Right. All right. Let's get into our categories. What was your high point of this episode? My high point, and this was probably a little bit of a cheat, but it was Londo's whole journey. From the second he, you know, he talked to Delenn till the second that he admitted to himself and said, I'm sorry. That was just a really cool journey. That was so well written and yeah. so incredibly well acted. It was it was the highlight of, of the episode and possibly the highlight of the season. I don't know. I'll find out. But I, I thought that was <laughs> we'll just see. spectacular. I, I really, I, as a writer, I really appreciated everything that went into that. And, and again, Peter Jurassic, he, I, I know we bring this up quite regularly, but man, is he, he was just too good for this show. I mean, he was just freaking... Mm knocking out of the park in this episode just amazing just the little things he was doing you know when he was walking through the halls looking for delenn and it's it's i i I, we could do a whole episode on peter jurassic's performance in this episode i thought it was spectacular he is amazing he yeah he is one of the most underrated actors i think there's ever been absolutely Absolutely. same with andreas same with andreas 
Yes, they the 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 fact that neither one of those was ever even nominated for an Emmy for their their role was, yeah. is just criminal. It is absolutely. Uh, they should have won like the Saturn at least every year or something. You know, right. Whatever. Right. My high point was Londo and Jakar in one of their epic moments together. They had a couple there, so I'm kind of kind of like what you said. I just narrowed it down a little bit to when they're together, but yeah, it was definitely yep. that. Um, low point of the episode, I think, is going to be the B plot. But what do you think? Yeah, uh, my low point was when uh, Lanier and Delenn were discussing his leaving. Um, <laughs> it, it was just heart, absolutely heartbreaking. The, the the scene when he left was rough, but but that scene when they were actually going through everything, you could just the pain that that was in Lanier's, I mean, voice and his the way he in his face, he all but came out and said. Delenn, I love you. I mean, yes, he, he did. Talked around, he talked around it, and yep. he was everything he said was saying "I love you," but he just never said those words. And, and which was probably smart, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it was just, it, it was, it was hard, hard to watch. Um, the, the specific part I focused on here was when Delenn told Sheridan about it, and Sheridan, you know, I love John Sheridan. He's one of my top five. Right characters ever right sheridan was kind of like this is not a quote obviously but th- i'm paraphrasing what cat came across <laughs> to me sheridan was like yeah i figured i intimidated that boy yep i was just about to say he came across as the high school bully who yeah. just pushed the, the nerd into the locker and walked away with the pretty girl <laughs> he did i yep. couldn't believe it yep. he was not concerned at all he was just kind of like yeah that's what i figured you know, John Sheridan does have a little bit of an arrogant side to him. I mean, j- just in the way he, he treats Lita and the way he treats Lanier, he's not a, a perfect character. He has his flaws, which is which is good. I mean, that's a three-dimensional character, but yeah, he's he's far from perfect. Uh, uh, Delenn, sh- should I should I nuke him? <laughs> John, no. I, I got a couple left over, Delenn. My so dad always said. <laughs> you don't start a nuclear attack, but you sure end it. <laughs> Nuke the Membari when you get a chance, son. That's the only way to be sure. It's the only way. <laughs> you can come back and try to kill me. I better nuke him now. <laughs> All right. Most Babylon. Fa- there was. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Andy and Van's Babylon 5 Theater. <laughs> we, we hope you enjoyed the performance. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is the worst episode we've ever done. But I'm having fun, so it's okay. I think our listeners are either like loving it or tuning out rapidly and never coming back. I don't know. Probably a little bit of both. We we do this for you and I's entertainment. And if everybody else is entertained, more power to us. But by golly, this is fun for me and you. That's all that matters. Bless their hearts. They long suffering (laughs) listeners of our show. Um Yeah, let's see. Most Babylon Five scene. Beside the uh, one we for, just did. <laughs> this episode, oh my God. For, for me, it was when Londo looked over at Jakar and said, I'm sorry, Jakar. And then yeah. the look on Jakar's face was just, it was awesome. It was it was the culmination of, of four years of, of conflict between those two. And it was, it was very, very cool. Here's what to me was amazing. I watched this so closely. J- as you mentioned, Jakar's facial reaction when Londo said, I'm sorry. If you watch that scene, Jakar barely, barely moves a muscle of his face, but mm-hmm. it's just enough about yep. three different t- 
times in succession that you get the entire story. I mean, yep. he moves like one little muscle and then one little muscle and then his eyes just a tiny. I mean, yep. it's like a one one hundredth of a percent change in his expression, but it's just enough that you get it. And that is yep. through that makeup. Right. It, I it mean, we're used to thinking he's a lizard guy. Right. That's his normal face. It's your car. Yeah. Right. This this was acting. This yeah. this was um Andreas behind a bunch of rubber and paint doing yep. that. And we yep. totally got it. Yep. It's amazing. It, it, was, it was it was absolutely amazing. I mean, like I said, it's criminal. You know, if if this show with these actors had been done today or within the any time in the past five or ten years they would have been nominated for awards. I mean, oh, in the modern way that shows are, yeah, right. It was just phenomenal acting. It wasn't going to happen in the late nineties, but today I agree with you. Right, right. I, you know, it's it's like when the it's like when the apes in two thousand one didn't get nominated for makeup because they were so good that the people thought they were actually apes. <laughs> I think that people were right. watching this show and just totally buying that Jakar was Jakar. And yeah. forgetting it's Andreas Katzlis under rubber. And yet he's right. doing this Shakespearean emoting with three muscles of his face. Right. And he did something similar in a different scene when he was as the emperor while Londo was oh, getting... Whipped. we hadn't even gotten to that yet. Oh, he hold on. He was channeling Wor- Wor- Wortham Krimmer. Oh I think his name was. I mean, yes. Just channeling him. It was he amazing. Was. Oh, he's so good. Well, let's just roll right on then. Right. I didn't say what my most battle in five scene was real quick. Mine yes. was when uh, when uh, Sheridan keeps changing costume and changing form because yes. to me that was a very Babylon five thing. Yeah, that was it, that was my number two. That was a really neat way that they did that. There was an important conversation going on, and at the same time, uh, JMS is just like tipping his hand and saying, "Look at here, here's John Sheridan from start to finish, pretty much." Yep. Yeah, and, and it was it was it was his it was. John's entire history and future right. history. Yeah, right there. All summed up and, and very subtly, you know. And again, we so, hadn't seen Sleeping in Light yet. Exactly. exactly. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> what right. was that? What? Right. Oh, my gosh. He turns into a photon torpedo? What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. I've got to say, I'm going to jump in because I've been waiting so long to say this. Because you just brought up Jakar on the throne. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, it was so funny that first we see, I think it's first, we see Jakar actually, Jakar, sitting on the throne. Right, right. And he's just like, chill. he's just like, oh, yeah, here I am on the throne. Right, yeah, just kind of sitting there like. Doo-doo-doo. I love it. I love it. Yeah. That as himself, and then, Andy, I've been waiting all episode to say this, we get Emperor Jakartaja. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. You, yes. you wrote that one down, didn't you? You're it's like, right so here on the screen. <laughs> Emperor Jakartaja. I'm going to work this in at some point. <laughs> oh, I was going to I was gonna work that one in. Yeah. It was, um, it was perfect. I mean, it, it, was, it was the Emperor's clothes, if you pardon my saying that. Yes. Um, yes. Jakar's face. Yeah. But it was Cartagia. I mean, it was... It, it oh, was he did the little hand things and all. Yes, the little yes, motions he, and the, the 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 quirky little smile on his face. Oh my god, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was so good, yeah. so good. All right, uh, what was your favorite character moment? Was that it? Uh, no, my actual okay. favorite character moment was when um, Lando came to that realization 
and and in his dream said yeah. I'm sorry. That I mean, because that was one of the most important character moments in Londo's entire story arc. You know, oh, yeah. that's not only did it save his life, but it actually it, it, Londo can't be redeemed. I don't think, but he can come across as as a better person than what he was previously. So I, I think this this took a step towards making us able to like Londo again. There was a quote from JMS about that, and I'm trying to think exactly what it was, but he was referring to some uh, movie about the life of Christ or something, and somebody tells us, a Roman soldier or something, you've nailed so many Christs to the crosses that there's no redeeming you or something, and he's basically saying that was Londo. Oh, wow. So, But we know, you know, Londo... I'm, I, I, it's one of those it things allowed, where I don't know how you describe what happens to Londo, and I don't want to get into spoiler space right. too much. It I allows mean, us to have sympathy for the character later. Yeah, yeah, that's fair it, enough. It's it's not a oh he's getting what you know he deserves. It's a oh man type of thing. Well, and we know from War Without End that you know he does get some chances later on to do some stuff right. to show what side he's on and all that too. Right. <sighs> Funniest moment. Uh, for me, it was Lanier and Veer at the bar when they start yeah. talking about the Shirley Temple, and Lanier says, "I don't remember there being a temple dedicated to to Shirley on Earth." I know. Uh, and, and I can just imagine Lanier going back to Earth, walking around saying, "Where can I find Shirley's temple?" <laughs> yeah. Well, and somebody pointed out that uh, Shirley Temple was an ambassador for the United States in her later years, and so it kind of she fit was. in with yeah. the two of them am- being ambassador aides. Yep. she definitely was. Um, my funniest moment was when Londo and Veer were bickering with Zack, because we got a nice little Zack bit. I like yep. that even though Zack now has Garibaldi's old, old job, the way that JMS uses Zack is totally different from how he used Garibaldi in the same job, right? right. With, with Garibaldi, it was always very personal. It was him do out, like, sweating criminals, you know, and suspects and looking for clues and being like a detective. Right. With Zack, it's much more like the comedy of bureaucracy that Zack has to deal with red tape and complications right. and be frustrated and, you know, very different from, Jaca- from, from Garibaldi. Yes, Refresh my memory. What uniform was Zach wearing in that scene? Oh, was he crap. wearing the 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 security green with the the, the dark vest over it, like the I other security so. guards were wearing? I want to say he still had the Army of Light uniform on, but is that I, good? I right? don't remember. I'm going to have to go back and look at that because I want to say he was wearing the 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 green and black outfit, but I could be wrong. Well, he could. I don't. That's a great yeah. question. I just I always kind of visualize him in the Army of Light uniform ever from the moment he got it. Right, but you know nobody was in their army of light uniform in this one. Sheridan was never no. in it. No, well, except for in the, the dream sequence. Except in the dream, but I mean, yeah. when, um, Franklin wasn't in his. He was in the 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 medical gear. Garibaldi never exactly. ha- never is, and right. and, Gar- and of course yeah, Susan's gone. Right, I'll have to go back and look. I don't know if Zach was what what uniform Zach was wearing. You know, it's interesting. I wonder the last time. Susan wore the Army of Light uniform because you know she changed back to an Earth Force uniform when she went back into the service with the, on the Warlock, and right. then later she's you know got the other outfit. I don't want to go into spoiler space unless if for people that didn't watch 
for the folks that didn't watch Sleeping in Light when we did a couple of weeks ago, Showtime, yeah. show-wise, they may not know what becomes of her in Sleeping in Light, so I don't want to spoil that. But she right. doesn't. She wears a lot of different outfits over the course of the series is what I'm getting at. And I wonder when the last right. time was that she wore the Army of Light. I guess in... Um, Rising Star was she even in? She wasn't even in Rising Star, was she? I don't even remember now. Mm, I don't remember her that, seeing her there. That was the last or the beginning of Deconstruction, or maybe you know what? Maybe Third Space. Well, but that wasn't chronologically later than the end of the right. That was four, still though. season four. Yeah. Oh well. Anyway. Yeah. Um, my my funniest moment I was building up to, and I kind of derailed myself was Londo <laughs> Londo and Veer are talking about Zach, and Londo says. When when Veer says I'll go talk to him, Londo says, "Here, take my shoe. It will do you as much good as it hit." <laughs> I totally screwed that up. Let me try again. Here to take my shoe. It will do you as much good as he will. There, <laughs> that was I, I, I like that scene. That was a fun scene. Yeah, all, all of all of Zach's scenes are usually funny in a kind of a look at this guy being like frustrated, you know, kind of a right comedy frustration comedy. I would call it. All right, who won the episode, Andy? Uh, for me, I would say that Londo won this one. Yeah, Londo and Jakar, I think, together kind of won it. Because Jakar did get the apology right, and, and helped to save him, basically. It was interesting, too, that they went back and redid the, the whipping scene with Londo being the one... And, yes. and I love that they match it up with the, with the uh, with, with shocking him. The defibrillator, That yes. was really I smart, I thought. Yeah, that was neat because it was when he, when uh, uh, um, Franklin hit him that third time with the defibrillator. Mm. Well, that's mm. hard to say. It is. was the exact same time that the 39th strike hit yeah. the back of Londo, and that's when he woke up. Well, yeah, yeah, I thought that was really smart of JMS. I was I was very impressed with that that little trend because there were several times they transitioned in and out of the dream and used something happening in the real world to kind of carry over into the dream and back like veer right, said exactly. something and then it and then it came back out so, it went back yeah it, it started off with londo hearing delenn yes and then in his dream he's like delenn did you just hear delenn mm-hmm. yeah, yeah there's something that veer says in the dream and then it comes to the real world and he's saying it still and i can't remember what it right. is but <laughs> yeah because he's sitting there when, when londo's in his bed and he says something to him i picked up on that too and i thought yeah. it was kind of neat and i forget what it was he was saying yeah it was well-structured. It wasn't the it was. Shadow War or anything, but it was very well done for what it was. It was very well-structured. I, I thought, like I said earlier, from a writer's perspective, I really enjoyed how, how he set this all up. It was really well done. You know who else won this episode? Mm, who else won this episode? John Sheridan got rid of the annoying third wheel <laughs> that has probably been looking at him funny and being all whiny for weeks. I make no apologies, Andy. <laughs> I make no apologies. He got rid of that third wheel that's kind of been looking at him funny, looking at him (laughs) side-eyed. Thinking, man, if we just hadn't surrendered at the Battle of the Line, this wouldn't be a problem. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I guess you can say that. Who lost this episode besides our listeners? (laughs) (laughs) I have Delenn lost the episode because at least Uh, Lanier... Got to, yeah. you know, throw himself on his sword and, and be all noble on his way out. But yeah. Delenn was just left lost and hurt. So I think I think Delenn lost this one. I noted that there really wasn't a villain this episode for once. No. Right? Interestingly. 
other than Londo against himself, which is an right. always interesting com- uh, conflict. Uh, Lanier was as close as we got to somebody kind of skulking around, but even then he's Lanier. And the funny right. thing, too, is you can't call him the villain because based on what he was actually saying, he sounded very noble. We know what's going on behind the scenes there, but right. if you were just a person on Babylon 5 and you heard what Lanier said to Delin, you would think, yep. oh, well, that's very noble. He, he feels bad about his role in Marcus dying and he wants to honor Marcus and he wants to, to, to earn honor in the eyes of his boss, you know, Delenn and everything. So he wants to go be a ranger. How noble, how nice it's never right. stated that their real reason is blah, blah, blah. Right. And so right. I feel like Lanier is, is very two faced in this episode off uh, by necessity. Yeah. But, but I don't think he's the villain. No. Yeah. But the subtext was definitely, I'll go and get all buff and awesome, and then you'll dump Sheridan for me. And I think think Delenn 100% knows that. Oh, absolutely she does, which is is why she she looks so regretful when when she does. Yeah. By the way, I can confirm that Zach is wearing his black Army of of Light uniform. I thought that. Yeah, okay. He's the only one left wearing it. Yep. Sheridan should have required that Lockley wear it. Oh, that would have been... It wouldn't have worked, though. No, it wouldn't have. It wouldn't have worked. Yeah. But, yeah, Sheridan can't wear it anymore. Susan's gone. That just leaves, um, yeah, it leaves Zach and Franklin, doesn't it? Yep, it does. I mean, Garibaldi's not even really working on the station anymore, so he's not going to wear it. He's going to wear a suit. Right. Well, yeah, he's not even working in that capacity anymore. Was Steven wearing it? In this episode, no. He was wearing his his, uh, his um, medical 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 fatigues. Okay, so only Zach. Yep. The last member of the to join the Army of Light Club was the one that got to wear the uniform this time. Right. Yep. Good old Zach. Was he wearing it in Sleeping in Light? How did we not notice that? He wasn't in Sleeping. Well, yeah, yeah he was. Yeah. Because he was, yeah. See, now we can't talk about this because spoilers. I know, but I just can't remember. Oh, man. Yeah. Now I'm going to have to go back and fast forward to the right. middle end of Sleeping in Light, see what Zach's wearing. That's not yeah, something I expected would, to do. Uh, yeah, that's that's crazy. Interesting. All I'm right. going to say that, yes, he was wearing it in Sleeping in Light, but that's just a total guess. We'll, we'll see. I don't know what else he would be wearing. It would be funny, though, if he's still wearing it. It's like 20 years old. Man, that Mimbari made really nice material. <laughs> of course, I say that, Andy. My my Army of Light uniform is currently older than Zach's was in Sleeping in Light. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How about that? Man, yeah, don't don't say stuff like that, Van. That, that just makes, that makes my bones creak. Do you know what, Andy? I was just looking through. I keep my day planners. and I've got day planners going all the way back to 1998. And I was just yesterday oh, wow. looking at my 1998 day planner. And several times in it, I said, contact JK2, contact JK2, call JK2. And then finally in like October. And finally, in like May, it says JK2 says it'll be here in two weeks. <laughs> and then two weeks later, it says JK2 says two more weeks. I think it, that's the people that made my Black Army of Light costume in LA. Yeah. I think it, it arrived like a week before Dragon Con because Dragon Con that year was in July, July 4th weekend. Oh, wow. And I had it. I had it on. That's so I, cool. it was just hot out of the box. 
Yeah, they they took like three months to send it to me, but they they did it. So I miss I miss my day planer. I I used <laughs> to love those day planers. I had the whole just oh keep them every year the whole oh, nine I yards. Yeah, I can't I can't even think the last time I opened up a day planer. Golly, I, I couldn't get by without them. Yeah. Uh, although I switched the calendar version now, but yeah. All right, here we go. The other favorite part for everybody, the rating we give this episode. So we don't do t- a 10. We do a 5 because I'm dumb. On a scale of 0 to 5, how do how does Andy rate uh, the, the very long night of, the excruciatingly long night of Londo Malari and Lanier is a jerk? <laughs> now, I've been kind of looking forward to this ever since we opened up this episode mm-hmm. to see your reaction because... I think you might be a little surprised, and I think we're going to be very different because Ooh. I was super impressed with this episode, and I gave it a 3.5. Smoke weed every day. <laughs> <laughs> I loved this episode, and by golly, I will die on this hill. I thought it, Londo's journey was great, and I thought it was a huge, huge moment in not only Londo's story arc, but in Londo and Jakar's relationship. I thought yes, yes, that's true. I, it was the perfect, the perfect culmination for Londo's character, and it was it moved Jakar's character forward too because yeah, he just that little smile at the end was a transformative moment for Jakar as well as Londo. So I thought it was huge. There wasn't any great big space battles. There wasn't you know a whole lot of story. Arc. Well, there's not much story arc stuff happening anyway. But this one really, it, and it could be that it, I was so surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I, I might be overrating it, but I, I really, really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was a great episode. I was it prepared. Was I was prepared to say wrong, but you, you, I. Then so be it. So be it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I so be it. I gotta say this though, I agree with what you just said, but I think you could not have had. The events of this episode, I don't think you could have ever gotten uh, Londo to apologize to Jakar if Jakar had not changed so much since season one. There's Absolutely. no there's no way that Londo would have apologized to season one Jakar. Absolutely. And that shows how much these characters have changed since season one. They both have. I mean, just yeah. immensely. Yeah. And, and, and I thought that was... And the acting of both of them bumped this up at least a half a, a half a star if not a full star just there there it was a tour de force look at last episode for all that we were meh on no compromises yeah. think about this there is londo watching as jakar who used to be the crazy klingon screaming at him and trying to kill him right yep londo is watching as jakar does all that thomas jefferson stuff with the oath of oath to the of office and the constitution yep. and all that. How could Londo, and he can't, right? I was going to say, how could Londo look at that Jakar and say, I'm going to continue to act as if he's season one Jakar? Right. He couldn't. And I think that's ultimately, I think that's ultimately a big part of why this episode's events happened when they did is I think that, right. I think it's two things in story, in story, it's that, Londo had seen so much change and had seen Jakar change and he himself had changed. And I think his, his subconscious had gotten to the point of realizing I've got to make amends. I right. can't go Absolutely. on if I don't. Right. Right. 
And I think out of story, JMS wanted to use them together more because they're so good together. And you had to clear away the obstructions that would not story-wise allow them to be together, right? Because where we've left it in the past, where we've left it in the past, Londo could have made overtures to Jakar, and Jakar would have been like, I'm not having anything to do with you, you crazy space Hitler, right? Right, and that's actually happened in the show. <laughs> yes. Londo had to get past being crazy space Hitler and and get back to being you know, sort of wacky, nice Londo that Jakar would at least stand next to and have a conversation with right. and not and just I don't, run when he sees him coming. I, this wasn't even Londo going back to season one Londo. This Mm-mm. was Londo actually becoming a better person. Yes. Better than he had ever been in his entire life. Yes. And it it, it was it was fun, phenomenal. So yeah, I, no, I, I thought it was I thought it was a, I thought it was a great episode. I really, you, really was surprised and I enjoyed it. You have talked me into raising my score. All right. Let's uh, hear it. You have, you've raised it a half a point. Very cool. I had a 2.5. I've raised it to 3. That's perfectly legit. Because I was waffling between 3 and 3.5. But I finally okay. said, screw it. I'm going with the 3.5 because I loved it. Too much of it was depressing. And it was it, but it, but yeah, you make a very good point though that it's such a it, it is a bigger character pivotal moment than I was giving it credit for. I think, and that's what made me change it. That's what sold me. That was your argument that sold me. Yeah, that's why we have these conversations because <laughs> they're fun and it's it's enlightening to both of us. And because our listeners and our patrons, for whatever crazy reason, seem to enjoy them. And let me take a moment to thank our patrons. They they went to www.b5review.com and clicked on the button to become a patron. They include Allison Rich, Leah G, Rich Hammett, Ben Massive Geek Cred Rose, Debbie No Spoilers Norris, who we probably disappoint every week on this show, Dragon Con <laughs> Delin, Emma Jane, Van and Andy are wrong about Third Space Alexander. Hey, Emma Jane, I will give it up. I will give up massive respect for anybody that wants to defend Third Space because, as I said, I used to love it. It, it kind of disappointed me the most recent time, but I've, I've been willing to fight for Third Space from the beginning as one of my favorite stories, so I get it. It, it, it left me a little empty this past time, but every other time I've watched it, I really loved it. So I'm, I, I respect that. I don't, I don't disagree with you, Emma Jane. Uh, Emmanuel Seaman, grumpy old SGU fan. We'll get another SGU in soon, soon as soon as Andy and I can get together on that. Yep. Jalza, Mondo6, Michael O'Connor, middle-aged geek Tim, Pete, they can at least tell us what book is going to be first so we can start reading it now, oh, Furman. We were supposed to we were supposed to get together and work on that, weren't oh, we? We were. Ah, Next, well, the whole right. Christmas thing came up and we kinda got it. It did. It was it was crazy. But I promised Pete and everybody else who's just waiting on ten was it Tinder hooks? Yeah, that's it. That that's we will have something together uh, next episode. That's a good plan. Good plan. Steve Palmer, Stu Parker, The Geek Boy, Una Vez, and Una Luna Azul. There's several counts on here that are hard for me to pronounce. Drazi Green. Heather, we just got to get a purple Drazi now. They can fight right. in the patrons. Uh, Heather and Yancey Steingraber, Ice Cream Clone with a Boba Fett head, and New Pulp Reader and Writer. Cool. All right. I so, want to know if that's somebody we know. I don't know. You would, I feel like you and I, between the two of us, know all the New Pulp writers but, right. and a lot of the readers. Right. but. But, yeah, uh, and a lot of readers, yeah. 
but uh, maybe it may very well be. I, um, I do want to I do want to give a shout out to Allison Rich and yes. uh, an apology to Allison because she was visiting friends over the holiday weekend this past weekend near Cincinnati and they make a trip to Cincinnati to go shopping at at a at a particular grocery store. It sounds silly, but this grocery store is like the the Disney hmm. World of grocery stores. Oh wow. And she invited me to join them for, you know, to meet at the Starbucks that's right next door. And I was so excited to do that and we have been planning this for the past probably the, a good month. Hmm. And then my my wife had to work a, a second shift at the learning kitchen. So I could not make it, and I was very bummed out, and I felt very, very bad for for kind of dissing um, Allison like that. But Allison, next year for sure, we're already making plans to to meet up when she comes up here next year. Yeah, I know. Okay, make me feel bad. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's cool that y'all were, were working on that though, and maybe we'll yeah. maybe you'll get to come together. Well, the other news is that maybe you'll be coming to Dragon Con this year. Yes, Maybe. I'm very excited for that. I've already talked to my wife about it. We are definitely making doing the logistics work now to make that a possibility. So I've, I've got a badge with your name on it. All you got to do is show up, and you can just walk right in. Yep, and, I'm excited. All access. Yep, very, very cool. All right, last thing here before we get into spoiler space real quick is patron comments. We couldn't get it to work last time, so we got a few to get through. Good. In the... In the beginning, Allison says, I cannot wax eloquently enough about how much this is my favorite of the B5 movies. It ties so much of all five seasons together. It's so good. The yep. young woman with the children is Senna, who is the daughter of the disgraced Lord Rifa, though she's not named as such in the film nor in the Lurker's Guide. The encyclopedia gives the picture of this woman in the entry, so that's her. She features, yep. I'll go look that up. She features very prominently in Peter David's Legion of Fire trilogy. Oh, yeah. I think we haven't read that in forever. She is one very heroic character. That's awesome because I really liked her. Read the novels again. We're gonna. Oh, last. We're gonna we read are. the novels again. We're gonna. This will be my first time reading the novels, so. Oh, wow. Spoilers. I've, read, does, I've, read, I've oh. read some of them, but not, not all of them. She says, spoiler, she does not know that Londo had her father killed. She is living in the rubble and throws rocks at Londo while he is touring the destruction of Centauri Prime, and Londo takes her into his court. Reread the Legions of Fire trilogy, you'll see it. Senna is Veer's first wife and fellow freedom fighter in the trilogy in spoilers. Um, I also have to say the La that Londo's narration about the bravery of the human race while their, while their slaughter is being pictured always affects me deeply, as does the president's speech to the troops. By the right. end of the movie, I nearly always am tearing up. Peter Jurassic's performance here is truly sublime. I just don't disagree with anything that she says. You know, and I don't think I brought this up while we're discussing this, but it's like a sci-fi cliche when uh, humans encounter aliens that aliens are always thrown back by the humans' military prowess. Yeah. Like, they're the most violent race we've ever encountered. <laughs> That's why the humans are kicking everybody's butt. In this one, it was kind of a neat twist on that where the humans were kicking everybody's butt because, you know, other races were equally as good at, at war, but it was their courage and their spirit that, that yeah. made them different from other races. And I thought that was a neat, a neat little twist on that. So good, good, good call. It's such a JMS thing. It is, absolutely. Let's see. Ben Massive Geek Cred Rose says, Yes, I love how um, he can say something like their stubborn nobility in a tone that's equally resentful and reverent. There you go. I, I think <laughs> yep. he nails that. Yep, absolutely. 
Um, he, he also says, chosen one, leader of the Gray Council and stands apart from the nine, appointed by a consensus vote from the members of the Gray Council. Okay, so that's the person with the staff. Yeah, because we were discussing whether, uh, whether what's-his-name was a voting member of the Gray Council or not. Right, so it's ten then? There's the nine plus the one? Yep. Okay. Uh, I believe the information about the position of Chosen One came from Chapter 7 of To Dream in the City of Sorrows, but I'm not 100% sure. Well, we're going to find out. We'll read that one. Yep, yep. Uh, and there's a website he listens under, list for babylon5.phantom.com. Okay. Um, let's see. I, I guess Allison says, I love that book. I'm not sure which book she's referring to. Maybe To Dream in the City of Sorrows, probably. And it is a good yeah. one. Uh, Catherine Drennan, Mrs. Straczynski at the time. Uh, ben said the most Babylon 5 scene was when Londo turned on his TV and we see Sheridan and Delenn. Tying this to War Without End was brilliant. I can imagine yep. Londo using the storytelling as a distraction so his keeper won't pick up on his thoughts while he puts it to sleep with Bravari. Oh, that's uh, a neat twist. I like that. Yeah, it was hard to find a funny moment as I was watching in the beginning, partly because I kept waiting for the funny things that Ducat said to Delenn that we saw in Atonement, but they weren't there. It right. wasn't impossible, however. I laughed when Jakar said to Sheridan, waste of material, most unfortunate. <laughs> um, Ali oh, Allison says, I've watched in the beginning between episodes one and two of War Without End. It works. Ooh. Oh. I hadn't thought of that. Wow. We might have to try that. Good Lord. <laughs> Maybe I'll gain a new appreciation for War Without <laughs> There it is. Yeah, there you go. It's bookend. Maybe it works better. Yeah. All right. Ben says, Van is a history professor. I hope you can help with something. Some, probably not. Some sources claim that John Wilkes Booth didn't serve in the military at all. Others suggest he impersonated a soldier. Others suggest he worked as an agent for the Confederacy. Was John Wilkes Booth a soldier who fought for the other side in the Civil War? Ah, I don't he, know. He was not. He did not fight for the Confederacy. Okay. At least as far as 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 far as my experience with 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 history has been. I I've I've seen that there's been some debate about it, but uh, I I I want to say that it, the evidence is overwhelming that he was did not fight for the Confederacy. Okay. I, I I the American Civil War is not one of my areas of expertise as a history gotcha. professor. He, at least he didn't put on a, a uniform and serve in the, the, the actual army. I, I don't know if he was a spy for them or anything like that, but he, he was not a he didn't fight in the battles right. as a soldier for the Confederacy. Right. I, I do teach the Civil War, but only as one part of an, a survey course on early U.S. history, and so I don't really have to dig that deep into it, so I just never really have in some ways. Well, um, one of my ancestors was a general in the Civil War for, oh, the, for well, the North. So for the I'm, North. I'm, yeah, that would have been General Sedgwick. Interesting. Very cool. Yeah, there, there's a huge statue of him at the at the Gettysburg battlefield. Huge statue. Wow. Yeah, and a, not... and a statue of him at West Point too. Good heavens. Yeah, he was, and he was he was a son of a general in the the Revolutionary War. He okay. was a son of the Mayflower Compact. I'm a direct descendant of somebody that came over on the Mayflower van. Get out. I'm, yeah. Yep. I've always said my wife is like descended from the kings of England and Scotland, and I'm descended from their gardeners. <laughs> <laughs> and that matches up pretty well, I think. It doesn't surprise me. She does. No, her, her lineage goes all the way back to like Robert the Bruce and the early Edwards wow. and everything. She's all connected, Holy yeah. And, and mine is like, yeah, at some point we came over and 
became a bunch of Presbyterian ministers and stuff in Pennsylvania and South Carolina and then ended up in Alabama. That's where I came from. It was Alabama, the Alabama branch of the Plexicos. <sighs> well, anyway, your majesty. Anyway. Um, uh, <laughs> ben says Veer was actually in third rate. Oh, he calls third space third rate. That's pretty good. Uh, nice. When he's fighting Zach towards the end, you can see he left his watch on. <laughs> I didn't notice that. That's pretty good. Veer <laughs> has his watch on. Good. Um, let's see. Well, they did say the Centauri were buying a lot of, of human trinkets, right? This is true. This yeah. is true. Probably got it in the Sokolo. Uh, my old friend Emmanuel Seaman, and Emmanuel Seaman and I go back decades, man, back to the Avengers mailing list back in the 90s. Um, he's one of our wow. patrons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. He says, just found some info that might interest the people here. In a 1998 Babylon 5 video game, Into the Fire, we've talked about that. That was the computer yep. game Sierra was making. I've got the poster. It got ruined in water leak, but I had the poster. I've still got the Shadow Watch from the, from the video, from the computer game that they put out. Because they, they produced posters and watches to promote it. And then when the game got canceled, they just said, write in and we'll send them to you. And I just like... <laughs> I, got my, I got my watch and my poster. They were really cool. That's Still got cool. the watch. Don't have the poster anymore. Um, I wonder if that's the watch that Veer was wearing. Oh, that would be cool. But he <laughs> says it was being developed by Yosemite Entertainment, a division of Sierra. Yep. Work on it ended on September 21, 1999, when Sierra canceled it and laid off its development staff, the game being only a few months away from release. It was. I remember they had a contest to name it, and it was named Into the Fire. Yeah. They picked like three episode titles and people voted and Into the Fire won. I had a kind of like a, a, a virtual guide to Babylon 5 mm -hmm. computer thing. And it, it, it wasn't spectacular. It was kind of interesting. You know, it had some, some neat walkthroughs of the Babylon 5 station. And some, it was more of a, a trivia type thing. But one of the cool parts about it was they had a... Um, non-playable preview of Into the Fire oh. tacked onto that so I could watch the trailer of the gameplay and I was super excited about you were, Into the Fire. You are flying a Star Fury around, weren't yeah. you? Wasn't that what it yeah. was? Yep. But so, uh, it, it, yeah, I was very excited. The, 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 the guy the Babylon 5 wasn't great but I was very excited about Into the Fire. It was very disappointed when it got canceled. Well, he says, a former Sierra employee found an interview from 1999 with the game developers just days after they got laid off and lost their jobs. He put it on YouTube, and what I'll do is I'll put the link in the show notes on Babylon5Review.Podbean.com. So if you want to find it, go to www. No, go to Babylon5Review.Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com, and I'll have it in the right. notes for this episode. Um cool. Uh, Jal Ja about no compromises says love the opening. Oh, the, we were talking about how great the the season five opening is. Right. Uh, ah, memories can we keep that love and feeling. Hmm. Ben says the opening for season five is the best of any TV show ever made. I hundred percent agree. Ivanova's promotion and transfer to the Warlock class destroyer was mentioned in Rising Star. I'd forgotten about that. Yep. Uh, the best season premiere he says was three. Interesting. It has the best opening credits of the first four seasons. Arguable, but maybe. We first meet Marcus. We first see the White Star. Londo tries to get away from the shadows and blow him straight to hell. Johnny proves that he can destroy an advanced alien ship with something other than nukes. Oh, okay. I don't know that I agree, but you make a good argument there, uh, uh, yeah. Ben. Uh, he also says, the only other actress I could find out with who auditioned for uh, <clears throat> Lockley was Catherine Oxenberg. That would have been I interesting. Know, I don't know who that is. I, think she, I thought she was a model, but I guess uh, 
Andy's going to Google her while I keep going. I am. Also, that's cool, that's cool that he dug that up. Good job. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that that kind of rings a faint bell now that he says it, but I hadn't forgotten it years ago. Oh, also, she was, on Dynasty. she was on Dynasty. Oh, my bad. Okay. I'll Google her again and myself in a second. I can't right now. i got to read. Um, Tracy Scroggins apparently auditioned for Dr. Trent in third space before being cast as Lockley. And there's a video of Tracy Scoggins talking about being cast and her her reaction to seeing herself on TV as Lockley. And I'll put that one in the show notes, too. So we've got two video links you guys might want to check out here. That's pretty cool. Moving along, Allison says, This episode, No Compromises, suffers from having to find its own feet again. Tracy Scoggins had huge shoes to fill. Amen to that. It's cool to know that she was a fan before she auditioned. She does get better as the season goes on. I 100% agree there. As for the telepaths, yeah, they are annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Andy was spot fragging on with the comparison to 90s vampire series as an inspiration for their look. No wonder I always found them so cringy. (laughs) I think she's nailing that one. She always does. Anyway, those who skip season five because it's not good are missing out on some fine moments. That's true. Like this episode that we just discussed. Yes. And then, that's right. And then the last thing, I think this was tacked on just after the last time we talked about third space. I may be wrong, and this may be a rerun, but it's a short one just to make sure I get it in. Pete says, so I'm the only one that saw the inscription DS9 plain as day on the wall of the artifact during Susan and Veer's dream hallucination scene. Wow. <laughs> I didn't see now that. I, I, I never thought I would say this, but now I have to go back and rewatch part third of Third Space. <laughs> that's cool. good oh, Good finding man. that one, man. That's, go, that's, an awesome, that's an awesome uh, Easter egg if that's really yeah. in there. No kidding. Uh, and he cool. says, as for the question whether or not any of the people on the station that were affected might have been latent telepaths, I would ask if any of them were Narn, since we have been told there are no Narn telepaths, and I'm not sitting through this boar fest again to find out. That's <laughs> what you were, just said. Right. There were a couple of Narns that were that were part of the zombie squad that were fighting. So, oh, wow. Yeah, okay. that's, a good, that's a pretty good point. Yeah, it is. All right, our next installment will cover 504, The Paragon of Animals, which I believe comes from the quote that man is the paragon of animals. Okay. I believe that's where that comes from. JMS does a lot of that with season five titles. There's an In the Kingdom of the Blind, and there's The Paragon of Animals, a lot of Shakespearean-type title quote lines. Um, I have to remember when we do In the Kingdom of the Blind, um, there's a great reference that... uh, uh, um, oh crap! Graham McNeil makes to that in one of his novels that I just think is brilliant. I'll get to that. All right, last thing as we always do here. Jump gate activated. Through the jump gate into spoiler space. So if you haven't watched beyond this episode, eject, eject. I need to get the eject sound effect from when they pop out of the ex, out of the um, Star Furies. Eject, eject, yeah. eject. Collision course, collision course. Um, the only thing I really have is. As far as Lanier goes, we know what comes of all this, and all I can say is, do you think that this story arc is a disservice to the character, or do you? you, Bill Mummy certainly thought so. Did he? Oh, he was very unhappy about how it ends. Yes. I see. That's interesting. Yeah, when we get to like 
objects at rest or whatever. We'll talk about that right. in great detail. Okay. He went to nice. JMS and said, I don't want to do this. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. I did not know that at all. He's That's like, I don't think this is what would happen. And JMS is like, you're going to perform what I wrote. And he's like, ah. And he did it under protest. And you can see wow. now that it was definitely building that way. I just think he doesn't yeah. think, I don't think that, I don't think that Bill Mummy thought Lanier would go as far as he does. Right, because when I was reading up on this episode, uh, he was all excited about Lanier getting some meat mm-hmm. to, to chew on a little bit. But that, not that, he that put, far, right. Right, yeah. I, I guess maybe he thought it was more of a, a kind of like um, Mark Hamill and Luke Skywalker. Mm. He thought that, it, that it, it went off character, maybe. Yeah, I think I that's know. 100%. Interesting. That's that's really interesting. It is, yeah. We'll talk. We'll talk. We, we'll talk more. Yeah. Um, the only other tidbit I have, and I didn't want to. I just wanted to put this in the spoiler section because it does refer to later episodes it, obliquely. Is this episode has a P five score of like what eight point five two? We said. That's what you said. Yeah. Their sleeping in light is like nine point three, something like that. Mm-hmm. There are three. Besides Sleeping in Light, which is not really season five, honestly. Besides Sleeping in Light, there are three, just three season five episodes that are nine or higher. Really? Just three. And they are probably not what you would guess. Because I cheated. I went and looked to see. (laughs) I looked at every one of them a while ago. And I was like, huh, really? Interesting. (laughs) i got to tell Andy this. So, I mean, we know how people feel about season five. Yeah. It does not have it, the high scores. Yeah, that's that's all right. I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be interesting to see which ones you think are the three versus which ones are the three nines. I'll have to look at a list of upcoming up. Well, I'll just look at the episodes on, on Apple and see from there. Yeah. yeah. See if I re- Again, it's been oh, decades since I've watched Andy, it, so I may not be able to. That being the case. The telepath episode titles all run together, and then the stuff yeah. in the second half of the season with Centauri's all right. run together. I read those episodes, and I'm just like, I have no idea what happens in this. Episode. I know I'll that it. Won- I know that certain things happen in the first half of the season. I know certain things happen in the second half of the season, but I right. just going by the titles, I have no clue. Right. I'm looking through the book right now, the season five. Uh, yeah. The 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 review book. Looking at that's a, yeah, I don't recognize any of these. I mean, Paragon of Animals. I have no idea what we're going to get next episode. And the Kingdom of the Blind. Kingdom of Blind. I have tra- no idea what we're going to get. A tragedy of telepaths. That well, that was one's at least interesting. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> Phoenix Rising, Ragged Edge. I have no freaking clue what's in those episodes. Right. Phoenix Rising. Yep. And I don't like looking ahead. I don't like looking at at uh, synopsis and stuff like that. Yeah. Because I want to go to these episodes fresh. Yeah, for sure. It'll be interesting to yeah. see. Do you have any right. spoiler stuff, or are we going to wrap up? I don't. I, I just had that question about uh, Lanier's arc, what you, what you thought of that. So. Yeah, no, I kind of... It's one of those things where I felt like it was out of character, too. I kind of agree with Bill Mummy, but on the other hand, it's, it's it feels like it's kind of where the story needed to go. Right. You don't want to be too timid. You need to go for it. And I felt like JMS right. said, like, we need to go for it. And I, I, I thought it gave Lanier a little bit more depth because Lanier is not so goody two shoes perfect. Yeah. And that, yes. that the character can have a, a, a break. And I mean, it, love can make people do stupid things. Stupid things. And crazy, and, crazy things, yeah. And, and you can do one thing in a moment 
that you yes. can't that you can't take back. Right. Exactly. That, that'll ruin the rest of your life. Yeah, and I think that's very true to to how life actually works. So absolutely. Well, on that profound note of an ending to an otherwise very wacky episode, <laughs> this has been a fun one, Andy. I've enjoyed spending some time with you this evening. I I needed it this evening, so yes, yeah. it, it was very a very good talk. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to, to help. I'm curious what our listeners thought about this one. Did you think it was? entertaining to hear Andy and me being wacky or you like, Oh, you totally ruined what was a very fine, solemn episode by, by, I don't know. I just, maybe I was goofy tonight. But anyway, I think, I think our fans have come to know us well enough that they're not going to hold it against us when we get a little out of, out of bounds. Bless their, bless their tolerant <laughs> right. hearts. Yeah. Right. To- yeah. Right. They, they have pa- the patience of saints. They do. All right. Well, we got an hour and a half out of, uh, the very long night, the very long podcast about Londo Malari. That's good. So, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up here. Andy, I'll talk to you again in a fortnight and we will talk about the Paragon of Animals, whatever the heck that's about. All right, man. Sounds good. See you then. All right. Take care. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.